I hit him in the theater and the usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. The barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. And, and yes, here we are, folks. We are live here in the spoiler room. And Casablanca, Citizen Kane, Rocky, all of those classic films, you know, Shawshank Redemption, Saving Private Ryan, all of those epic films fade in comparison to tonight's epic film that we will be talking about. This piece of cinematic classic just celluloid is going to be the topic of discussion and we are talking about killer clowns from outer space oh yeah <laughs> it's a piece of something all right <laughs> oh this is gonna be a great discussion yes from 1988 killer clowns from outer space and of course you heard his voice my right hand man our co-host here in the spoiler room it is none other than ian simmons hello ian and uh are you ready to talk some killer clowns um, yes, I am. Although I possibly would rather be wrapped up in a can uh, cotton candy cocoon, cocoon. And, and sucked on by aliens. <laughs> Sorry, have my blood sucked on by aliens. <laughs> there are two different things there, Ian. One, one, of them, <laughs> one of them gets you an X rating and put behind the beaded curtain. The other one, you're on the horror section. So, you know. <laughs> Either way, I win, I feel Either like. Way but, you, win. you know. <laughs> oh, this is definitely going to be interesting. It's funny because. Uh, it is part of Where You From Month. We're wrapping it up here. And I thought this was perfect because we had these films where we've talked about, oh, you know, this was kind of smarter than I expected. Once it got here, it was really cool. And, wow, this was really interesting. And this one was really cool. And then I had to end it on this fun cult <laughs> classic because I do one of these. One of these, I think. Uh, I don't know how Ian feels about it yet. We'll find out here momentarily. Uh, but I do one of these might... Um, might might be of uh, a differing opinions on. So, Ian, before we get into the uh, the the popcorn bowl of killer clowns from outer space, <laughs> please, sir, I give my listeners the synopsis of this cult classic film. Okay, um, you know the title <laughs> and scene. <laughs> uh. Cheers, sir. No, okay, it's. 1988. I swear this movie takes place. It's the same year, but I think it actually takes place like the next town over from the from the wonderful Blob remake. Mm -hmm. um, but it's you know the kids the kids are out on makeout point. Uh, there's a meteor or some kind of a astrological thing that passes over their heads that ruffles all of their hair, and yet when you see it. In the long shot, all the trees are standing still. Uh, <laughs> flies down into the woods. And uh, it's a giant circus tent from outer space. It's a spaceship. It's populated by killer clowns from outer space uh, who go into town and uh, start murdering people in a lot of 
clown and circus themed ways. And yet we've got uh, our two makeout point kids, uh, Mike and Deb, mm-hmm. who are you know trying to team up with a pair of um, ice cream truck driving goofballs uh, and the town deputy who used to go out with Deb or they used to kind of have a thing together. And then there's the gruff police sergeant uh, officer Mooney uh, played by the lovely John Vernon. I think it was John yeah. Vernon. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it was. That- uh, uh, Mooney was. Yeah, John Vernon. Yeah, great, great character actor, great hard ass from the 80s and, and beyond. Um, and they they fight the aliens and no one believes them until it's too late. And the town is being uh, swept up by these giant machines after the uh, clowns cocoon people in cotton candy, as I alluded to, so they can take them back to their home planet and suck their blood out of silly straws. That's killer clowns from outer space. I used to love this movie. This movie was perfect when I was 11 because that 1988 was an amazing year for weird horror movies. It yeah, was it was. The Blob. It was Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream mm-hmm. Master. Master. Uh, it was uh, Friday the 13th, Part 7, The mm-hmm. New Blood with you know Jason versus Carrie. Oh, I loved that one. God. Yeah. That, um, yeah. And then even this movie, I love the aesthetic of it. I like that it got made i think the chiodo brothers have a tremendous spirit about them but watching it uh you know just recently for this conversation i had the same problem that i did the last time i tried to watch it a few years ago and i bought the blu-ray i was so excited i'm like killer clowns and high def with special features and i watched it i'm like i am no longer 11 because this does not hold up as a movie really it's just very kind of flat and it's got some great production design, some wonderful creature makeup and some cool ideas, but it's not scary. It's barely funny. It's just kind of uh, a little half-baked, I think. It, see, I still enjoyed it quite a bit. My wife has the Midnight Madness DVD release that they did of it. So not only do you get the movie, but you get uh, interviews with the Kyoto Brothers uh, some behind the scenes stuff, blooper reels and that. And that's very fascinating. And it's, um, yeah, you, you mentioned uh, before we get into the film, 1988 for horror films. I mean, you had Black Roses that year. You had Brain Damage. You had Child's Play. You had... Was that also Monkey Shines? Was that 88 Dead too? Heat. Uh, let's see, I think... Uh, Monkey Shines was that year too. Maniac Cop, Lady. I mean, 1988. Shit, we could do a whole. We could do a whole a series of episodes on the horror of 1988 because the sheer volume and cra- Return of the Living Dead Part Two was 1988. Also starring Suzanne Snyder from Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Exactly. Sorority Babes at the Slime Bowl Ballorama was 1980. This was a peak year for horror. That's when the first witchcraft movie came out was in 1988. For those of you who may have uh, listened to Astro Radio Z epic uh, series where we covered the witchcraft franchise and Woodchipper Massacre. I mean, this year, you're absolutely right. It's crazy. So this was actually fitting that Killer Clowns from Outer Space came out this same year because it was a crazy year for horror and obscure horror. And I love the blob remake and in the behind the scenes stuff, the Kyoto brothers mentioned that's what they were going for was a blob type. They were influenced by the blob, uh, the original, the blob. 
you know, where you have uh, a gentleman who's like 35 trying to be 18. But anyway. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and that's the, that's kind of the 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 issue I had with it is mm-hmm. I couldn't tell if the people behind the movie were trying to satirize the genre or if they were just making a crappy 1988 horror movie. <laughs> you know, I, I look at, uh, you know, this came out almost 20 years later, but uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story where you've got yes. John C. Riley playing a 12 year old kid in the yeah. flashback scene. You know, you're drawing attention to it and making it into a big joke. When I see this, I'm like, yeah, they're obviously way older than high school or junior college or however they're supposed to be. But given that that's how every movie of that type was, it's like you really have to go the extra mile to call out how ridiculous it is. Otherwise, you're just making what everyone else is making. Yeah, well, I mean, in the original Blob, you had uh, uh, who was the lead? He was like 35. Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. Yeah. He was like 35 and he was supposed to be 18. Here, at least our, our main characters were like in their late 20s trying to play teenagers, which was typical 80s fashion. But- I, but I was thrown like, are they teenagers? Because they look well, like they're at least in college, but they're also at makeout point. I'm like, well, who f- goes to makeout point where they're in college? What is I, that? I guess small towns. They do. Uh, you're right. I, they were kind of they were graduated, I think, because they refer to the brothers when they used to get into trouble a lot. And they were friends, but it's never really established. So I think they are actually supposed to be out of high school. But you're right. They go to make out point as if they're in high school. They don't mention a college at all. Well, uh, also, they're, like Mike and Deb are drinking champ. They're drinking champagne at lookout point. <laughs> What? Or as they call it, top of the world. Top of the world. What, what was even better. And folks, you, you folks, if you have a make out point, and if you've got a date, a significant other, you take out to make out point, you want to have things get a little steamy, don't forget to bring your inflatable raft because it's a cushion. It's it's like a mattress, but it's inflatable and cushy in case there's a flood. Because, because our folks here, Mike and well, Debbie... Oh. There'll be a flood if he, if they're doing it right. If they're doing it you know right, what I'm yeah. saying, yeah, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> that's a whole another. That's again behind the beaded curtain, which I should make a movie now behind the beaded curtain. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, copyright you know spoiler. That, you, <laughs> no, you totally. You should make a documentary about like the X-rated section in video stores from like the '80s and call it "Behind the Beaded Curtain." Everyone would know what you're talking about, and everyone would watch that movie. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I could copyright spoiler room. There you go. Um, but yeah, you know, it was just hilarious that they're on a raft, but you know, in every other movie, I'm like, okay, this is going to be kind of, that's kind of ridiculous here. It's just like, okay, we're watching a film called killer clowns from outer space. So the fact they're making out drinking champagne on a inflatable raft inside the back of a truck, I'm like, okay. You know, I, I, I've actually kind of accepted that already. And uh, we've got to mention in this opening, we also get a fantastic yet short appearance by Mr. Royal Dano, who, if you wanted a crazy old man uh, cast, you picked Royal Dano because he was actually in a movie two years later that we've talked about in the spoiler room. And I got a chance to interview the director, Spaced Invaders. To where mm. he played almost the exact same character, um, 
where he was an old guy with a dog who sees the space invaders. Here he sees the killer clowns. And I imagine knowing what I know about the film and after talking to uh, Robert Johnson about it, I imagine that was deliberate <laughs> because he was very similar to his role. But I loved his character and getting to meet the clowns. You know, unfortunately, he's the first victim of the clowns. But I guess what I really enjoy about this film is their commitment to the gimmick. You do get gimmick movies like this, you know, with the hook and everything that once you watch them, you're like, well, why'd they call it that? You you barely got, you know, whatever in it. But here they commit fully from the design of the internal spaceship hallways to each clown looking different. They could have easily made most of the clowns look the same and only have a certain amount. But every clown has their own unique design and look and feature about them. And, you know, all their technology is, yes, ridiculous, but it's clown related. They, they, they committed to this completely. I mean, what did you think of the art direction and the overall production with the different clowns and everything? I mean, it's superb. I like, like I mentioned, um, when they, when Mike, who I just saw on IMDb, Mike's last name is tobacco. Yes. <laughs> and she's <laughs> Debbie stone. <laughs> And you got yeah. Curtis Mooney and uh, Farmer Gene Green. <laughs> Farmer Green, yeah, there was um, there was some something going on in that set. Uh, <laughs> but when Debbie and Mike first go into the spaceship, they go into this one door, and they're presented with uh, it's almost like a scene in Star Wars where Luke and Leia are shooting at the stormtroopers across the giant shaft. You see this chef that goes on forever it seems and there's a big electrical glowing ball at the top and it's all matte painting and and you know 1980s animation and it's beautiful looking i i would rather i would love to see an art book like the making of killer clowns from outer space and read that five times rather than sit through this movie again um because <laughs> like again i can't fault the idea or the design the whole time watching it i'm thinking i would like to see a remake of this movie where they really commit not only to the bit, but to making a horror movie mm, instead mm -hmm. of, instead of this off brand comedy, that's sort of paying homage to early horror movies, make something that's actually scary. Cause there's some, there's the one scene that stands out here where the clown kills Mooney, mm -hmm. the sheriff or whoever, yeah. and turns his body into this weird ventriloquist dummy. It looks like something out of Stephen King's It. And you've got Dave, the uh, you know the mm -hmm. the deputy ex boyfriend of Debbie, Debbie and Dave, uh, yeah. uh, who's confronted with this, and it's genuinely creepy. And then when Mooney, you see his body, and it's like the life just out of his eyes, and he's got those uh, those ventriloquist dummy you know bloodlines and the rose cheeks. It's great stuff. But nothing else in the movie gets to that point where I'm like skeeved out. Uh, <laughs> I did. I did like the the shadow puppet thing. I've always loved the uh, the group of people at the bus stop where yes. there's the clown making shadow puppets against the wall. One of them is a T-Rex with a glowing eye and the shadow comes out and actually scoops up the people and eats them again. Great idea. Uh, but well, the rest of it is like, I don't know. Well, the Kyoto brothers are known for special effects, all three of them, especially that. I mean, even the behind the scenes stuff. And they're still today, the Kyoto brothers, they they 
they uh, promote themselves as special effects artists, and each one of them has a different specialty. And you find that out in the in the behind the scenes documentary. And you're right. What's very fascinating about this film is all the technical aspects and work that they put into it. While the script is wafer thin, um, what you get in here is fantastic. I mean, these clowns are legitimately creepy. If you put them in a more of a darker horror setting, which this is dark comedy, you know, but it is still leaning more towards the comedy outside of the ventriloquist part, which is dark and a couple other scenes in here that are meant to be like actual legitimate horror parts, like in the jail cell later where they find uh, two of the convicts uh, splatted against the wall with the um, cotton candy and they peel it off and the the face is all melted. And then you get the bloody hand down and it's lit dark and it's actually kind of like a horror scene. It's like, holy crap. And yeah, I mean, if they would have mixed, I think for some people, and for me, I loved all of it. I, I didn't mind it, but I totally get what you're getting at is that there were opportunities here to make this darker and lean more on the horror scary aspect than the camp aspect. But they more wanted to do a camp. And with their skills, it was fitting because their special effects sh skills shine. Because whatever you think of the story, the animatronics in the 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 masks for the clowns alone mm -hmm. and the artwork in the faces because you get a lot of close-ups folks this isn't like from a distance or color shadow you get to see these and these are full-on hollywood like upper hollywood quality prosthetic effects and puppeteering effects on these faces but it's in a campy atmosphere so they're less scary I, I'm imagining that's what you're kind of talking about, right? Is just the fact that there's yeah, I mean, potential if you, here. You brought up Child's Play, came mm -hmm. out the same year. Um, that's a legit, weird, creepy little horror movie that went on to have a you know decades of sequels that are varying quality and varying, you know, some Tone, of them were trying yeah. to be campy and some of them were trying to be scary. But if you just take the premise of like, oh, it's a serial killer who gets into a, you know, essentially a a my buddy or Teddy Ruxpin type of a doll, you know, it sounds stupid, mm -hmm. but in the execution, it's terrifying. Right. This, I think you could have a situation where you've got a movie called killer clowns from outer space. People go seeing, Oh, this is going to be so dumb. We're just going to go and laugh at it. And yet you scare the fuck out of people <laughs> yeah. and make it into a classic. Mm -hmm. This is a classic movie. It's kind of a cult thing. And, and again, I loved it up until I watched it, you know, five or 10 years ago when I was <laughs> fully an adult and the sheen had worn off and I'm really picking up on, you know, they're doing that thing where they've only got so much length of hallway. So when people are running away from the clowns, they're, really hustling in place, you know, trying to make it work. And maybe that's an homage to other bad horror movies or whatever, but I'm like, just make a good horror movie. Mm -hmm. And again, see, for me, I never went into it with expecting anything, but just a fun camp stuff. And I'm a big visuals guy. So I, I love the visuals and, and the clowns and everything. And yet there, I, I totally get what you're saying though. There is a lot of potential here to make it a legitimately scary horror film. Um, but it, it, even if it's not the case, you do feel the fun that they're having fun making this film, uh, for sure. And they put in a lot of cool stuff in like there's, uh, again, I, I found almost the technical aspect of how they did some of this stuff, even more fascinating than the film, because I was 
very entertained. It, I've watched this many times and I'm still entertained. No, it is not a horror movie. I will say we're not, not a horror film. It is a campy film that's, you know, it's got horror in it, but it's not really scary moments at all in this. Nothing to make you jump, but I thoroughly enjoy it. And especially the all the technical stuff that goes into a campy film like this uh, that they made, because like... The scene where the clown is riding, there's this uh, scene where uh, a car is driving away and a clown is uh, riding an invisible car, basically. And the the way they did that is they built this uh, kind of track next to the car. And the clown guy in the clown suit, they built it uh, so that the controller looks like a clown hand. So the guy in the suit could actually move the tram back and forth and away from the car and towards the car. But it looks like he was moving his hands. And I'm like, mm. that's creative. I mean, they did a lot of creative stuff. So you could tell these guys really, their strength was the visual effects because that shines. Just don't think about the story because it, there isn't a whole lot to it. And that's, you know, used, you keep coming back to the word campy, which I understand. But I don't think this is campy. I think it's broad. Really? No, I, no, I, I think it's just broad, mm -hmm. bad humor. Uh, you know, <laughs> okay. The, the camp, uh, I don't think it's smart enough to be that self-aware where it's like, we're going to make a legit throwback movie. I think mm -hmm. they're just thinking, we're just going to get these people who are... Uh, it's almost like I keep bringing this up as a reference, but Joel Schumacher, when he was making his Batman movies, yeah. kept screaming at you know the action. It's a comic book, you know. It's a comic book. Just like go crazy, do whatever. There was no like real direction. I think I feel like the direction was all reserved for the special effects and and pulling off a beautiful looking, you know, mm -hmm. B movie. Whereas if you had a really competent screenplay and people who knew how to really take command of their actors. For example, the end of this film, you've got the two, the, uh, was it the, the Terenzi brothers, yeah, the Terenzi brothers who are, these guys are like 45 years old and they're just like <laughs> these loser ice cream truck brothers. Uh, they rip off the end of once bitten the, the great Jim Carrey, uh, comic, uh, vampire comedy from two years before this, where they go into, in that case, it's vampires. They're going into the vampires lair, which is this big pristine mansion you get the two horny goofball doofuses that get separated from the rest of the group. I think they even fall into a pit or something and they end up with two uh, naked horny vampires. In this case, they end up with two, you know, well, fully clothed, but female clown aliens. They don't do anything with that gag, which I think is a big crime. Uh, <laughs> well, but... they do. Yeah, they do. Well, the one alien, her her clown, her chest actually grows as she sees them. So there is right, that. But... <laughs> No, but when I say they don't do anything with it, like the next time we see them, mm -hmm. they're crawling out of the uh, the freezer, right? Or they they crash their they crash their truck through the. This is why this is so fucking dumb. They crash the ice cream truck through the wall of the spaceship, a spaceship that is meant to go through outer space. The hull can be penetrated by a goddamn ice cream. They, truck. they didn't have their shields. And somehow up. when, oh sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> That's how Even, I took. They didn't. They didn't have their shields up. Come on, they did. They're on the ground. They don't need the shields. They're trying to be a big top. So you can't drive an ice cream truck through the hull of an aircraft carrier. Depends on the ice cream truck. I mean, you know. Uh, 
<laughs> I'm just saying this movie is not well thought out. It, it's the there's a lot of um, first of all, uh, Suzanne Snyder takes mm-hmm. the longest shower in the history of movies, uh, and this is a, this is a failure of editing on this part because. It is. The movie is so obsessed with these little side adventures, a lot of like what ifs, like what if there were alien clowns and they came to a small town and their whole gimmick was killing people using clown cliches? What would that look like? Well, you could have a shadow puppet where the the monster actually eats people. Uh, You could have a clown that develops boxing gloves and they punch the head off of someone. It was hilarious. Yeah, it was, it was nice. It reminded me of the, uh, I don't think it was as well executed as when Jason Takes Manhattan did it a year later. So, well, yeah, com- you know, compliments to the Kyoto brothers for, I guess, originality. <laughs> but they kept flashing back to these little interstitials, breaking up the main action to the point where when you get to Diane or Suzanne Snyder in the shower, she gets in the shower. She's brushing this popcorn off of her that she picked up, you know, in the spaceship. And I guess it gives the popcorn enough time to gestate into these worm creatures. Yeah. But you keep flashing back to her in the shower amidst the rest of this stuff. And 15 minutes of movie time has passed. There's people like going across town and other people getting murdered. And, you know, there's whole things going on that would have taken like two hours in movie time. And she's still in the damn shower. Well, you know, she she wanted to wash, make sure to get all that that popcorn butter off. I don't know. I don't uh, want to be crude, but if you're gonna make me sit through a two hour shower in a horror movie, it better be more than a bit of a modest. Oh, I'm gonna grab my towel from out behind the curtain <laughs> like nobody does. Oh come on, you got the girl in the negligee answering the door for the pizza sh- gimmick. So you know, uh... well, by by the way, uh, possibly a worse actress than the uh, Terenzi brothers. <laughs> She, couldn't even feign shock surprise she, oh. <laughs> well she didn't have time then she got you know uh wrapped up in a cotton candy cocoon mm-hmm. which you know uh yeah <laughs> i i had fun with this movie i don't know i i looked at it differently i just was sitting back and chuckling at all the gimmicks i love the shadow puppet i love the pizza popping out i love the the fact that they put our uh heroine in a ball rather than well in a bigger balloon instead of the cotton candy uh sack uh for whatever reason you know they they don't wrap her up in the cotton candy sack maybe they were going to take her away for later for road snack or something i don't know um, you know that's yeah i i wondered about that too like she was the one girl in the cuz by this point they've captured more than half the town right it's you know it's because it's the the main girl of the heroes that are trying to stop them. I guess they figured this out and they want to take her. On top of that, I saw that same gag earlier, five years before in Superman three, when they the the giant machine uh, captures Superman in a giant veiny beach ball looking bubble. Except in that, <laughs> they had the sense to to suck all the oxygen out of it so he couldn't breathe. <laughs> well, what's funny is. I mean, again, I love the art direction in that. They really go all out with some of the committal for, like, the equipment in that. At mm-hmm. one point, the clowns, once they make it to town, they, they've done this montage where they wrapped up half the town in uh, cotton candy cocoons. So then they've actually got a process out pretty good. They've got this big vehicle <laughs> with, like, a vacuum. <laughs> And so you've got the foot soldier clowns who go up into the buildings and they shoot people with the cotton candy cocoons and then they dump them out onto the street and then the clowns on the street suck them up with this big vacuum to take away. I'm like, that's efficient. You know, that's that's actually very efficient. 
um, someone needs to do a a super cut or a, uh, an edit of the dark parade scene in this movie with the dark nighttime parade scene from Masters of the Universe where Skeletor is also on his giant parade float through that small town and have them like coming together because I think they were going in opposite directions. I'd love to see that. Let's not forget that Batman Returns had the wonderful train going down the street in a similar angle to Killer Clowns when they were putting all the firstborn babies inside cages that he was going to ride off. Uh, which, I, you know, after when I saw this scene where they're sucking up the cocoon, uh, the cotton candy cocoons, I'm like, holy crap, this feels just like that scene from the. <laughs> <laughs> so, call it call it terror parade you know, terror yeah. parade will just it'll just be a montage of creepy parades down the <laughs> middle of main street we could get the scooby-doo one in there we could get you could do all kinds of yeah it's parades are apparently a very scary thing um but i loved that i loved the design of the vehicle you know the whole idea of the cotton candy cocoons the the hallways the you know the the I, I, the mythology with these killer clowns, you know, even the, the climax, you're absolutely right. It is ridiculous for a ice cream truck to smash through the side of a spaceship. I, I get that. But at that point, you know, suspension of disbelief has been dissolved and swept into a Swiffer and put in the garbage can as far as trying to, you know, <laughs> for logic. So for me, it, I guess it's not that big of a deal. Uh, and then there's this big, huge clown which attacks the uh, the ice cream truck and it helps the ice cream truck initially that helps our heroes get away because these guys actually have a very dim moment of brilliance of realizing there's a clown head on the top of their vehicle. And so they talk as if this is like master clown commanding them and it hesitates the clowns long enough for our three heroes to get away. Um, but then you get this huge clown that fights it smashes the ice cream truck and throws it and the ice cream truck explodes um you know and uh i love that whole sequence but again watching the behind the scenes it's even more fascinating of how they shot that they actually shot it um at a lot faster speed than what it was actually so to give the guy weight as he's walking they explain it all you can tell again the filmmakers definitely artists of their craft of special effects because you listen to the behind the scenes stuff they're very much talking about how they did the technical aspects of it and that part i think is fascinating for sure i you know while i find the beginning of the the, the what they present entertaining the the what they did with this film for what film it is is actually really cool and impressive. But th th this whole scene, it, it, it's ridiculous. But at that point, I'm like, eh, okay. You know, I mean, I'm watching a film called Killer Clouds from Outer Space. Okay. And like you said, there's two ways you could do it. You could go into it, dark, serious horror, or like, the you know, many people, I think, they just went in going, oh, this is just going to be fucking ridiculous. And it is. Um, the characters you barely care for, except Mooney. I loved Mooney. John Vernon is so great at this because there's this gimmick where he's the old cop. He's like old school and he hates all the college punks. So they were college. That's right. They were college because all the kids at this point were college. So even though they, they go to make out point, they're college. Um, 
but he's all about they aren't going to get my job. And when people start calling in saying clouds are attacking, he's just fucking hilarious. He's reading this book about the nine millimeter. It's it's an article <laughs> in the catalog about your nine millimeter, and he's fascinated. He's smoking a cigar, and he's like, "You're not going to get me." They got the whole town in on it. Yeah, he thinks every he thinks there's just this grand conspiracy, and he had some tension with him and the deputy. Uh, I mean, John Allen Nelson played the you know deputy Hanson. I thought, you know, deputy Dave. I thought he was the the most fascinating and dimensional character in this whole uh, movie, especially because he had this there like there was this weird dynamic, as I kind of mentioned earlier, between the the leads of this film. You've got. Mike and Debbie who are going out, but Debbie and Dave used to have some kind of a thing together. So usually when you've got that situation, the ex-boyfriend is going to turn out to be a real douchebag or he's going to die or maybe mm-hmm. he dies heroically or something. So you've got the the nice clean ending. In this movie, all three of them survive. Uh, did you catch the sniff? The sniff? I, I, there was go a, back and, okay. I think go back I, and yeah. watch the, uh, it, I think it's right before they all get like slimed with, you know, chocolate yeah. Sunday goo. Yeah. There was a sniff. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's this really weird scene where the three principals are very happy to be the li- alive. They've all escaped the spaceship. Deputy Dave, who, you know, everyone thought was dead. He actually got, he escaped in the ice cream truck or whatever came out. They're all, it's the big hero moment. They're standing together, congratulating themselves. And you see Deputy Dave behind Suzanne Snyder go. (sighs) I'm like, what the hell? I rewound that because I'm like, I did not just see that. And I did. I, you know. And one, no one acknowledges it. She didn't even seem to have noticed that it happened, but I saw it. Well, what I what I actually suspect that is, because this was the Kyoto Brothers' first film. So uh, I believe, directing and, and creating, I believe that's what they said. So, um, But I believe it's, it's in the direction. I suspect what he was doing was preparing himself for being slimed by the pie. So, you know, where, you're, where you mentioned that, oh... Yeah, he, he could be sniffing her at the same time. I'm wondering if he's just like, okay, here it comes. And, and no, look but, at watch the expression on his okay. face. He was getting ready for the pie, but not what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, well, I'll have to I'll have to look at that again because. Uh... And again, it's it's the thought process because. 10 minutes before this or 15 minutes as they go into, as they're getting ready to go into the spaceship, they come across the body of the amusement park security guard who ran into the clowns and they bring out a bunch of cream pies after getting out of the clown car, you know, because it's 50 clowns fitting into a small car. It's wacky. They all take these cream pies and pelt the guard with it. And it turns out these things are filled with some kind of like a mixture of concrete and acid because it forces them into the ground of this giant blob. And it's also steaming and it melts off his skin. So I'm like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Uh, You know, acid uh, pie material at the end, after they've defeated the aliens, the three principals look up and they get pelted with, you know, chocolate syrup and whipped cream and stuff. You know, like, all right, 
So when's their faces going to start to melt off? Well, you cut away to the credits, so you're not, you know, by then. But see, it's it's neutralized because the the clown ship exploded. So uh, that pie was not acidic pie like the other pie was. You put more thought into that bullshit answer than anybody in this screenplay. (laughs) And I congratulate you on that. Thank you. Thank you. It was neutralized because, yeah, the, the spaceship exploded. So uh, it was inert now. The uh, components that made it acidic are now inert. So, um, you know, so there, there's. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying maybe maybe my imagination filled in the holes, because like I said, I I I love weird films like this. They don't necessarily have to have a great script if they find if I still find them entertaining. And I, and I did. Um, but I mean, you make all valid points. Don't get me wrong. I am, I am by far not saying that this film is, is, is writing wise is anything, but just a, just a, a gimmick to gimmick, uh, homage to homage type of films that they enjoy. Uh, except for like you mentioned the one part with the puppeteering, uh, you know, there's a couple other spots too, where it actually was a bit dark. Um, Oh, the girl, the other scene, the scene with the young girl, the, the kid with her mom at the ice cream, big top ice cream place. And the mom's talking, not paying attention to the kid. And the kid sees the killer clown outside and he motions for her to come out and and meet him. That part mm-hmm. was actually very creepy. Maybe it's because I'm a parent. I'm like, aren't you paying attention to your Why aren't you paying attention to your kid? You know, and and luckily... She does catch the girl before she goes out to look at the killer clown, which upsets the killer clown. But that part actually was a little dark. I'm like, oh, they're are they going to go there? But but they no. don't. But. And I can tell you why. Listen to the 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 score. Um, mm-hmm. There is a version of that scene from I think it was It Chapter Two, uh, a couple of years ago, where the little girl gets I think lured under the pier right. by Pennywise, and that was some scary stuff. In this movie, you, like if you look at the the John Vernon ventriloquist dummy scene and the score there, that's like a straight up you know eerie mm-hmm. horror score, and it's complement complemented by lighting. Uh, in that scene, it's in a brightly lit, you know, kind of mm-hmm. just like he's just outside the restaurant, and I think they've got that that horror score. It's I'm not a score guy, so it's hard for me to articulate exactly how I you know, Mm -hmm. picked up on it, but it was just that horror music that is, uh, not really horrific, but you're trying to imply a sense of danger. Yeah. That's meant to Mm -hmm. imply that you're watching a character who's sort of in trouble, but nothing's going bad really is going to happen to them. I knew immediately just by listening to the music that the mom was going to come out and, you know, also that I'd seen the movie a couple of times before (laughs) that she was going to get snatched away. Yeah. They keep cutting to the giant mallet that he's got behind his back. But I'm like, no, on top of that, this is not the kind of movie where they're going to do something really horrific to a little girl. No, no, it isn't. I mean, you might think it very like a minutia, like, are they? But yeah, most likely not. And the music, yeah, it has that underscoring where it was, uh, it, it most of it is uh, done with synth. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, they talked to the composer in the behind the scenes stuff too. He's very, he was very uh, into this score. And uh, um, yeah, so he he used a lot of synth in, in composing this. And that's what he was going for. He was trying to go for a little bit uh, underlying 
atmospheric tone with the music. Uh, it's a little unnerving using some minor chords and that. So you, you, you know, it, something might be coming up, even though there's nothing going on screen. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I like the music for that. The music for me was a bit more it's incidental with this. <laughs> I didn't pay too much attention to the score. Um, you know, it was, it, it fit for the movie. I mean, we're talking an eighties film called killer clowns. So you're, you know, uh, you're going to get what you're going to get. It had an estimated budget of $2 million. So, uh, it's look, it's an achievement, but the best way I can put this is I think I saw this movie before I saw the blob remake. Mm -hmm. And so this is like the warm up the blob <laughs> you know if i were to watch you know even when i was 11 i said i really thought this movie was was cool because it was an early you know horror film and it was like a sleepover movie and it's fun to watch these clowns do all this really weird stuff but then you watch the blob and you're like okay so i'm taking exactly the same movie but i'm really paying attention to the script and the casting and amping up those horror elements to create something that's very suspenseful out of a premise that's almost exactly as ridiculous. You know, <laughs> space jelly comes down and terrorizes a small town and yet it's creepy. It's full of these great ideas and, and these wonderful performances. Uh, yeah. And, and I think about like the lost boys, which came out the year before, which, you know, we're talking about the, uh, the ice cream truck driving through the wall at the end. Same. That was the, the exact climax. That's how the characters were rescued at the end of the lost boys. Grandpa drives his truck through and stakes, you know, Kiefer Sutherland. So this movie kept reminding me of other movies. And I feel like the Kyoto brothers were so focused and I'm just speculating. They're so focused on making a cool looking fun movie. It's like, Oh yeah, we could just do something like they did in Lost Boys. We could do something like they did in this other movie. And we'll just kind of put it in there and, and we could make it look cool and look fun. We'll put clowns in it. I'm like, that's all right. But if you're talking about just for me, I like my horror comedies to be horrific and scary and to have kind of a pulse. You used the word inert earlier. And this is just kind of inert for me. I <laughs> once I've seen it, I don't mm -hmm. need I've realized I never need to watch this movie again. Yeah, and uh, I totally legit argument. <laughs> I mean, you make five points. You know, uh, it's 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 going to be select taste, even for for those who who like crazy films. Um, and looking at it now, it definitely for a younger crowd. It it was in general made for a younger like the teenage crowd. It, it this was a this is a teenage horror film for sure. And like you pointed out, you enjoyed it a lot more as a teenager. And I could definitely see even teenagers today sitting down a bit and enjoying the the crazy campiness and everything and, and the the silly stuff going on. You know, those who aren't trying to be the next Roger Ebert on YouTube um, <laughs> we, may actually enjoy this as well. It, it's it's definitely not really for an older audience, I think, because like you said, you asked too many questions. Though I would be interested in the original ending that they planned in which Dave that? actually dies in the exploded ship because the ship mm. explodes after he, uh, which, come on, you've got to at least appreciate how he takes out Clownzilla. The, the, big, guy, the big clown grabs him, lifts him up close, is about to eat him. He's got like really nothing left, but then he thinks about it. He pulls out his badge because the way you kill the clowns is shoot him in the nose, <laughs> which I think is a, a, is a that is you know that's a great 
idea. And that reminds me of another movie, which was the way that Freddy died in Nightmare on Street 3, uh, Dream Warriors, where he's, I think he gets the crucifix in the forehead and then he yeah. starts like spinning around and gets swept up in this ball of light. They kind of do that with these special effects with these clowns. And that is very cool. That is, that's a great idea. Yeah, it, it was, it, I, I, it made sense. That's what was funny is because you're shooting them and they're, it's not really affecting them. But then he shoots them in the nose and they explode brilliantly. Um, and I love that. So here you have the big, clownzilla at the very end he gets up just about to eat him and he thinks oh wait i have my badge he takes his badge and pops the nose of this big behemoth of a clown and i i just love that that brought a smile to my face because you know what the gimmick all along of shooting them just in their nose to kill the clowns i thought was great and in here i forgot about that part so when it happened i'm like oh you know that made sense within the world of the film and that actually worked you know that part actually worked because of what you established earlier so that at least they had some thought on how they uh kill them and pardon me i'm sorry for bringing it up but the behind the scenes stuff the way they did some of that special effects they did the compositing over it but they actually had a on a spinner broken mirrors and they reflected green light against the broken mirrors and they spun the broken mirrors so that in the room area you would get the actual lighting rather than any type of composited lighting. They actually used real lighting by just spinning a broken mirror column with green light. Um, wow. And then they composited over it the animation of the clown blowing up. Again, that's cool. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you look at the behind the scenes and what they did to the film, yes, the film presented on screen itself is gimmicks and homages and such just pasted together, which uh, some will find entertaining, some won't. But if you look at the behind the scenes stuff, it's like, wow, the stuff that they did, this was cool stuff that of how they achieved this. You know, they even talk about the 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 car because we talked about earlier about the clown. Uh, riding alongside and he's smashing into the car. There was actually supposed to be a whole opening sequence where the guy in the car has an argument with his girlfriend and drives off because he gets too fresh with her in the car. Um, mm. And then the clown pulls up next to him and does that. But the car was supposed to like launch. It was supposed to like launch off of that bridge, like in a spectacular fashion. <laughs> right. So they had everything set up and they talk about this where they had the camera set up. They had people far distance so no one gets hurt and multiple cameras. Everybody back away, back away. Well, apparently someone forgot to remove the sandbag from in front of the wheel of the car that they put in there to stop it from rolling downhill, you know, uh, before they do the gimmick. So what ended up happening is they say action. The cable that's tied to the car pulls the car immediately breaks but it pulls the car just enough so it just starts down the hill so that's why it does kind of that uh not so climactic fall over the bridge <laughs> it is a weird it is a weird fall uh and then when they cut away and i think they cut back i don't even know if you fire. see yeah yeah like is that thing gonna explode and yeah it does but it kind of does so off screen um, you know, there's a charm to this, uh, something I, I noticed and I actually rewound to this too, cause I wasn't quite sure what I saw. Mm. There's a scene where they're in the spaceship and they're running away. And in this particular chamber they're in, there's all these weird shapes on the floor, like mm -hmm. these colorful design patterns. Uh, <laughs> I think it was Mike when he's running, 
he stops and when he stops his foot actually nudges one of the patterns like the <laughs> like the fabric or whatever they yeah. the decal like on the floor because when i first watched it, i thought did the floor shake like an old star trek set and i rewound it like oh no it didn't shake it was solid it was just the decal shifted because <laughs> it wasn't glued down enough uh, like yeah but i mean i like the, the chase scene where they're being chased and you get this the doors I loved the door gimmick too, where they open the door and there's a smaller door and a smaller door and a smaller door. <coughs> Willy Wonka. Sorry. Well, um, of course it's really there. <laughs> it's full of homage. And I think that's what, I think that's what has garnered it. Such a cult classic is that a lot of people enjoy noticing all the references in there, not just the blatant blob ones, but as we've mentioned tonight, so many influences show up in this film. Uh, but it's almost like it's just, gimmick gimmick this is we want to do this and all this would be cool and this would be cool as they put it together rather than doing a narrative more complete that uh you know has story but you know you're right it it has charm though there is some charm i think in this film uh just as long as you're not expecting a scary movie (laughs) well i mean and that's the thing it's a it's a fine line and i think it's blurry and ill-defined when you've got a screenwriter who sits down and says I want to pay homage to a bunch of things that influenced me, you know, mm-hmm. coming up as a creative person versus someone who sits down and says, I'm going to steal everything I've seen in every movie ever and put into a script. And you've got both scripts next to each other. How do you tell which one is which? Because at a certain point, it's like, you know, you could say, oh, he's just paying homage or he has no ideas. He's just stealing mm-hmm. from everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, we and we did it. We did a full episode on that a while back in the spider room about homage versus ripoff. What, you know, the fine line of, well, what do you consider, you know, a ripoff versus an homage? I would say these are homages. I, I don't feel like they're ripping it off and saying, hey, look at us. We're being that. But at the same time, they're doing all their influences. They got an opportunity to make a film and they wanted to put stuff that they've enjoyed seeing in the past, but put a spin on it with the clown environment. Mm -hmm. And that's what they did with this film, Um, which, again, not a surprise. It was not a big hit in the theaters. I know that was a surprise. (laughs) I know I can tell you're shocked by this this knowledge, but they actually made revenue on action figures, T-shirts dvds merchandise the cult following that it had i mean if anything this is a prime example of you know almost like a early charlie band and lloyd kaufman type of approach to filmmaking where you're making this film and the film itself might not do so good but the merchandising around it and the gimmick and everything about it is very appealing and that's where you make your money versus on the movie itself, you make it on the merchandising, merchandising. <laughs> we put the film's yeah. name on everything. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, I missed an opportunity. Even though I'm not that big a fan of the movie. I am a fan of kind of like what you said, the iconography of it and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the Kyoto Brothers actually came to Chicago to the Music Box Theater a number of years ago with Killer Clowns and made a whole big event out of it. Sure. And I, I wasn't able to go, um, but I certainly would have if I... <laughs> I don't remember what was keeping me from it. Probably just adult obligations. <laughs> Damn, uh, you know, those adult things. Responsibilities. God. Seriously, growing old sucks. It does. Um, <laughs> but 
but yeah, and I, I don't begrudge anybody. I know I'm tearing this movie apart and, and you know, treating it like a, an old fuddy duddy Ebert esque type figure here. But I do love the fact that there are people out there like you who love it for what it is and, and really have a great time with it. And I think maybe if I'd gone to see this at a midnight movie at the music box, I could very well get swept up in the atmosphere. It's just a different experience when I'm sitting at home watching it on my laptop. And it's like the fifth time I've seen it in my life. And I realized that probably viewing number two was enough. <laughs> oh, no, no, totally. This is a this is a party film. This is a fun film. This is one of those films you can put on with a group of friends. You pop popcorn and you chuckle and you laugh and you, you enjoy it that way. Watching it by yourself, uh, yeah, I was smiling in that, but it's definitely one that you need a group. This this is one of those films where, and I think that's, if you think about some of the other films that are considered cult classics or whatnot, I think that's a common trait among a lot of them, which might attribute to the fact they're cult classics. They're ones where if you're watching it by yourself, okay, you find it entertaining. You get a group of people who also want to watch it, it can, it, it's it's it adds another level to the film and enjoyment of it because you're then at that point not necessarily paying attention to well uh that really that that doesn't make sense <laughs> you know to the plot why that direction or you know which because i found myself looking at it through those eyes for this episode um and that's why i say all your points are legitimate but if you've got a group of people you're not focused on that at all you're just having a rowdy time laughing at the gimmicks um, and the the goofy looking, well designed clowns, <laughs> you know. Oh, uh, so I think that's what is part of the appeal for a lot of people on it. Well, before I die, which hopefully is going to be a long time from now, hopefully, very. I want, yes, I want to go to a midnight. I want to go to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show mm -hmm. and a midnight screening on the big screen, which hopefully will not be a long time from now. Uh, because I've never seen Rocky Horror Picture so all the way through. I think I've tried three times, and without fail, I fall asleep when Meatloaf enters the picture. I of love Meatloaf. The, of all the points in the film to fall asleep, <laughs> it's actually when Meatloaf shows up? Because he shows, is it like a half hour into the About movie? That. or I feel About like, that. yeah, but by the time he gets there, I'm so exhausted by everything else that I've watched because it's not a brisk movie i mean i haven't tried in like probably 10 years but i'm just kind of so over it by then that even that spark i'm like okay i need a break and i just never go back to it or i fall asleep so i'm hoping that getting caught up in that crowd atmosphere which doesn't make sense because i go to bed early because i get up early so going to a midnight movie is not a guarantee that i'll stay awake even if i'm in a crowd but it's a working hypothesis you know, take take some jitter uh, chocolate covered coffee beans before you go. There you go. You'll be fine. It's uh <laughs> a good idea. Yeah. I don't know. They, do they have Rocky Horror themed like candies or goodies or well, uh, well, alcohol? I, mean, probably wouldn't help. But. Well, no. Uh, well, it depends on if you, you get a sleepy drunk or, you know, happy drunk. But um they don't have they they don't have specific theme, but you're supposed to bring stuff to throw at the screen and such. Uh, so you know, uh, for the audience participation part. So there there is that. Um, hmm. But yeah, killer clowns. I mean, this is one of those that yeah, I I definitely can see uh, many people not enjoying it. I enjoy it for a, it's got a lot of the stuff that I really like from a B film. 
I don't watch it for the story, in all honesty. I'm not. I will fully say I don't watch. This is one of those films I don't watch for the story. I watch for the gimmicks, the visuals, the stuff that they're doing because I'm a visual guy. And probably with my undiagnosed ADD, it's a type of film that can handle my attention span. So, you know, (laughs) maybe that's it as well. But um, it's interesting. And in fact, it's seen a resurgence over the years to the point where it is announced that I think Netflix is going to be doing a sequel and getting the Kyoto brothers a chance to do a sequel. Which I am all for, Mm. but get a real screenwriter. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and maybe that's what, maybe that's what a sequel needs. It needs someone who is, uh, who's grown up or at least come of age in the era of like, the the mature horror comedy, uh, you know, even I'm not a big fan of Stranger Things, mm-hmm. but able to take the nostalgia and the horror and really do something with it. I don't think it's going to be I don't think the Killer Clown sequel is going to be as as you like to call it campy as the original, because I don't think that works anymore. Um, I think if they want to go something absurd, it's going to be like really funny and really smart and not just we're going to try and make a bad 80s horror movie. We left those behind for a reason. <laughs> well, some of us, others have those on our shelf, but it's uh, <laughs> I still I have some of them on my shelf. Um, but <laughs> yeah, fair points. I'm interested to see. I mean, it was just announced, so who knows if it's actually going to happen. But apparently, and according to Ibidem, um, it's going to be called Return of the Killer Clowns from Outer Space in 3D, um, oh. but put out by Netflix. So, yeah, not sure how they're going to do that, but um, I'm curious. I, I I wouldn't mind seeing a sequel and seeing what they're doing with it now, you know, uh, uh, what, 40 years, <laughs> 30 years, uh, uh, yeah, 33 years later. Um it'd be interesting to see what they do with this story and this film, because I think they could do some cool things and you're right though. They can't take the same approach as the original cause of our just a completely different consumers now. Yeah. And especially the, um, <laughs> something that I raised my eyebrows, uh, early on when, uh, was it Mike and Debbie are going to investigate mm-hmm. the tent and they get out of the truck and, Mike is doing his impression of an Indian chief. <laughs> oh, that did not land well at all. No, it was like it was started as one line. I'm like, okay, but then he keeps doing the bit. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> stop. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, oof. yeah, that, that that joke that the way he did that. I mean, I've heard other people do it and in, in less offense, you know, saying many moons ago. And I've even said that, you know, many moons ago when the water was clear and I was younger, you know, but he was one step but, away from going, you know, doing he, the, oh, 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 he literally thing. jumps on the hood of his car, does an accent. He's squatting and pointing. And the whole, that was like, okay, when's this going to be over? And he kept doing it. I'm like, please be done soon. Please be done soon. <laughs> yeah, and then Suzanne Snyder's like, lead the way, chief running at the mouth. Oh, like, yeah. But I, I am all for seeing a Killer Clown sequel done by Netflix. I hope they modernize the script, but I also hope, I have not seen 
maybe I've seen some Kyoto Brothers stuff in the interim. I couldn't think of any at the top of my head, but mm. what would be really cool is if they didn't modernize the special effects, you know, still use the do, practical, you still use yeah, all the practical don't stuff. Don't use CGI, just use, you know, mats and, and rear projection and front projection and practical everything because it, that stuff still holds up even on Blu-ray. It looks really good. So I think if Netflix, they could probably save a lot of money and, and put it into a more ambitious, you know, wider scope story where like, well, we don't need to spend all this money on CGI. You just, you know, give you your, you know, uh, we'll have an endowment for your effects workshop for the next 10 years. Uh, I think it'd be really great. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. I think uh, and Netflix, if there's anyone who would probably do it that way, if you presented it right, they would probably take the chance to say, OK, because you're right with the practical effects and the fact that these guys, that's their their primary art artist skill is the special effects. I mean, they did not make another full feature film after this. They still do special effects. They're very well-renowned special effects. Actually, they do have done a lot of effects over the years. Um, because they're so good, you could actually get very cool close-up shots of these clowns. They actually light them so you can see the detail and the artwork put into them. They're not covered in shadow or shot from a distance or kind of fuzzy so you can skip things, you know, because they know the art and work they put into them and they want to show it off. And it looks good. I mean, these masks are legitimately scary. If these clowns were in a more legitimate horror script, they would be some seriously scary stuff right up there with your other 80s horror icons, in all honesty. And they're still icons, but for a completely different reason, you know, uh, because regardless of how the script is, the clowns themselves are built scary and creepy. They really yeah. are. And um, and they do get their moments to be creepy like that, just probably not enough for you to really consider this anything scary. But uh, it's still a fun pop popcorn, get some alcohol and some friends and just sit down and turn your brain off. I mean, these Kyoto brothers, they did special effects for one of my favorite sword and sorcery films, The Sword and the Sorcerer. So they did a lot of fabrication work for it, which hmm. that, you know, I imagine they're the reason why you have the triple bladed sword. So uh... <laughs> I've not seen the sword and the sorcerer. What? Yeah, that reference is lost on me. Oh, my. OK, I don't think we covered it for the podcast if we didn't. We need to. If we have, you still need to watch it. I'll, I'll, you still, Sword and Sorcerer has one of the greatest scenes in that I've always loved. I watched it again far too young because it was one of those that came out the sandal, you know, the Sword and Sorcery films like that Conan sparked. It came out during uh, that time. And there's a just a fantastic scene with a guy who's been crucified and the, the bad guys are eating dinner in front of him. And he does he does a thing. I don't want to root, but it looks awesome. I mean, there's some really cool effects. It is it is cheesy, uh, but uh, it's it's fun. That's a fun one. I, I will I right. recommend that. So check that out. And I looked that up, and I'm like, oh, they did the special effects for that. That's cool because uh, there's some fun stuff going on in there for sure. So so there you have it, folks. Uh, for better or worse, killer clowns from outer space. Closing out our. Where are you from month? Uh, this has been an interesting month, a variety of different films uh, for sure. 
and yeah, and next month, I'm going to tease it now, folks. It's Don't Fuck With Chuck Month. I almost didn't have a theme, uh, but we came up with a theme. So it's Don't Fuck With Chuck Month, and it is uh, Chuck Norris Films. And we're doing all three Missing in Action films because why not? And we're going to do a 90s Chuck Norris film called Hellbound because Chuck Norris fighting a demon. You know, I could have gone with another Chuck Norris film, but, you know, from the 80s, like Invasion USA or whatnot. But I'm like, Chuck Norris. Or sidekicks or sidekicks. Uh, Was it Firewalker? Could it, uh, yeah, with uh, right. with Lewis, Lewis Gossett Gossett Jr., Jr. Right? With, yeah, with your man from uh, Iron Eagle, so or know. Dodgeball. He was in Dodgeball. I think he had a cameo. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. We're <laughs> done now. We're th- that's where we're ending the podcast, folks. He just brought up Dodgeball. So uh, this is the point where I give uh, my wonderful uh, crew member a license to shill. So Ian, please, the floor is all yours, sir. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm Ian Simmons. You can find me at Kicking the Seat, which is at kickseat.com. I also have the Kicking the Seat YouTube channel where I put up uh, two to three movie review related videos and critics roundtables and things every week. Um, And also on Friday nights, uh, as you all know, because you watch this show and we're talking about it all the time. I would do a live stream talking about uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney Plus, and Mark has been gracious enough to to be a guest uh, on that show. We have a panel of folks talking about each episode each week, so we're going to be doing that for the next uh, four weeks. We have a month left until whatever <laughs> comes next on Disney Plus. Uh, so that's fine. It's it's uh, it's eight thirty p.m. Central. Um, come hang out. We'd love to to have you. Awesome. Yes, it's a it's an honor to be on that show. And they haven't kicked me off yet, though. I, I talk too much. So um, I get passionate about things. So uh, as you're, if, you're just taking you're just taking my lead on that. I get soapboxy on stuff and I just will not shut up. So it's totally <laughs> fine. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation, folks. Uh, I hit my mic here. That's lovely. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation, folks. And yeah, subscribe to us on iTunes. We got an AMA coming up July 9th. Haven't picked the actual time yet, but I am planning some things uh, during uh, that long event. I don't know how long it is. I'm going to be sending an invite to a bunch of people. Just say pop in wherever and I'll get on live stream. Talk about videos I've done in the past 15 years on YouTube. Yes, 15 years. That's folks. That's how long it's been. You know how long it's been? Lonely Trooper episode. Comment that I had on a Lonely Trooper episode. Someone said, wow, I found this. I used to watch these when I was a kid. So there you have it, folks. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll just say now, good night, everyone. (laughs) Good night. (laughs) Hey, everyone. We hope you enjoyed our show. If you would like to get access to exclusive Spoiler Room content, stop on by our Patreon page, patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions, where you will get access to VIP episodes, hear the discussions we have before our episodes, and a whole lot more. With your support, we can continue to provide the quality content you've come to expect. Thank you again for listening to The Spoiler Room, where the conversation is fresh, but we do spoil the movies. 